maybe the first year was probably under the assumption that plastic was evil and there was too much plastic and it was damaging the environment and it was well we shouldn't use plastic but the more I studied it and the more I started to be more conscious about the way that I live plastic is a great material hello and welcome to the common ground podcast in a time of ecological and climate crisis of rising inequality and social injustice it can all seem just a little bit overwhelming we get it and that's why common ground brings you the stories of those driven by passion who are striving fiercely to make our common home better for all who live here each week we'll hear from a new guest who'll tell us all about the issue that spurred them to take action to help inspire you to create positive and meaningful change in the world. I'm your host, Chess Fernley, geographer, environmentalist and concerned global citizen. I was thrilled this week to be joined for my first ever episode by Dr Imogen Napper, a marine biologist, National Geographic explorer, expedition scientist and sky ocean scholar. Imogen's research projects have also influenced government decisions, including the banning of microbeads in products such as scrubs. I hope you enjoy our conversation as we discuss the journey to her PhD, what it was that got her interested in plastic pollution in the first place, as well as the many exciting adventures she's had as a result. This was the first ever episode I'd recorded, and it was in the midst of the coronavirus lockdown, when all my family was working from home. So please do excuse the phone ringing halfway through the chat. I'm so excited to be joined by Dr. Imogen Nuffer today. Um, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. So for people who might not know who you are, which I would be surprised if they didn't, but I wonder if you could just sort of start by giving a little bit of an introduction about yourself and, uh, and what you've been up to. <laughs> wow, thanks. Um, so my name's Imogen Nuffer. I'm classically, I guess you could say, a marine scientist, but my whole research focuses on plastic pollution getting into the ocean. Um, I did my PhD at Plymouth, where you also uh, studied as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you kind of have some loose ties there. Yeah. And I really looked at different sources getting into the marine environment, but from ways that we wouldn't always typically consider. So someone best describes me when I was doing a talk in a primary school as a plastic detective. So understanding the impacts or quantities that could be going into the marine environment. I wonder if you could possibly just take us back and sort of set the scene in terms of where this all started for you, because my understanding is, you know, for your, your undergraduate degree was in, was it in biomedical sciences? Yeah, so oh, um, plastic pollution is, has always been on my radar, I guess you could say. I've always been so passionate about going to the beach and the natural environment. I grew up in a small seaside town called Clevedon, which is near Bristol yep. and south of the UK. And we have some absolutely gorgeous beaches that look over the estuary onto Wales. And when I was growing up, I never remember there being any plastic on the beach at all. But now, if we go back to the same beaches where I grew up, and also the beaches around where I live in Plymouth, it's hard not to see plastic there. And when I ask people, I'm like, do you remember plastic being on the beach when you were younger? And most people would say, no, it seems like it's quite a recent thing. So if this has happened in my lifetime, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like in another 30 years. So that really scares me, but it took me ages to figure out that I could do something like that, something I was passionate about, 
as a career. Uh, in school, um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I knew I really liked research uh, and answering unanswered questions, but I hadn't really found my mojo, what really made me tick. And there's such a pressure in, I went to sixth form and I think anyone that age, there's such a pressure that you have to know what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. And I honestly had no idea. Um, I knew I liked science. And the reason I went and did biomedical science in Lincoln is because my dad really loves Lincoln City Football Club. <laughs> we went to watch a game at Lincoln. And at the same time, there, there happened to be an open day at the university. Um, so I went to the university, flicked through the science um, you know, leaflets, and then biomed was there. I was like, well, that could be like fun. And then that's why I chose biomed. So not the most thought-provoking process. I uh, really enjoyed it. It gave me so many lab skills and just built my confidence in science. And it was actually my tutor at the time that said, I can tell you don't want to be a biomedical scientist. I was very honest with him. Yeah. I really love research. And he made me do this mind map yeah. of exactly what I, I was passionate about. And it was all linked to the environment and the ocean and a curiosity about plastics. I did lots of beach cleans of surface against sewage. And my mum always told me, do what you're passionate in. No, it's definitely, I think, a, a similar story for most people because they don't necessarily understand that some of the best things that you can do is when you, you know, you follow your passion. They think you have to do something because either it's going to earn you a good amount of money or it'll be a good profession or, you know, you're never going to run out of jobs and that kind of thing. That often means that people put themselves through something that they don't enjoy and you don't have a passion for it. You know, it makes that process so much harder. I guess in a good way going through all of these different, well, I guess you could say careers. I started off doing biomed and then to get onto plastic pollution, I did a master's in biotechnology. And I honestly loved the, you know, the degrees. I loved biomed, loved biotechnology. And it gave me so many skills that yeah. I now use in the lab today. And my mum told me an expression again, uh, saying you can never connect the dots going forwards, but you can always connect the dots going backwards. Never think that you need to you know, know what you're going to do for the rest of your life. What, what I do might change completely in 10 years. You have no idea. It's just doing things that you're passionate in, wanting to make a change and being happy as well. Absolutely. So I wonder if we can sort of go back to your PhD and if you could just give us a little bit of a rundown about sort of what that involved. Ooh, it was literally nearly, I think, nearly to the day year ago uh, that I did my Viva so Gosh. I'm still very fresh out of PhD and into postdoc life and um, I really loved my PhD because it just let my curiosity go wild and I was able to investigate loads of sources going into the marine environment but from ways that we didn't typically consider. My first research piece and I guess you could say always the scariest research piece because it's the first one that you've ever done we looked at facial scrubs in cosmetics uh, so um, facial scrubs act as exfoliants to get the dead skin cells off your face so your skin is nice and smooth and they used to put microbeads beads in facial scrubs which are tiny plastic particles. No one knew how many tiny plastic particles could be put in the facial scrubs to help exfoliate your face and that's exactly what we decided to do and I was in the lab sometimes for crazy hours uh, 
<laughs> separating all of the plastic from the facial scrubs. Oh, the labs yeah. felt really nice um, all the time, but it just took so long, way longer than I ever expected it to. And that's because there was so much plastic in there. So when we actually looked at the results, we found that in one bottle of facial scrub, there could be up to three million tiny plastic particles. Goodness me, it's shocking, isn't it? It's crazy, yeah. Uh, so on a squirt on your hand, there could be 10,000. So you're washing your face with 10,000 tiny plastic particles called microbeads. They would go down the drain, potentially through the sewage treatment works and then into the ocean. And it was from this research that uh, it influenced a big media storm. Um, it got people talking and that eventually influenced legislation banning microbeads in, in many countries, including the UK. Uh, and it was really exciting and to see how research can make a change. And I guess the thing about microbeads is that when you go to the beach and you can see the bottles, the straws, the crisp packets, that's so obvious. But microbeads, you know, to think that there were up to three million tiny microbeads in one bottle and they are now out there in the wild, you can't see them. It's a, quite a scary thought, isn't it? It's a really good point. I'm guilty of this as well. When I go to the beach and I see bottles or bags or large fragments, that's it's really upsetting because you can literally see it. Yeah. But this pollution from the microbeads, you can't see it. It's you know so dispersed in the ocean when it gets into there. Yeah. And the best way of describing it is like flour. It's, the grains are so small. So if that's in the sand, if that's in the ocean, are, unless you have amazing eyesight yeah. it's really teaching us that plastic can be everywhere so now we need to stem the source from specific sources itself yeah and I wonder you know having now completed your PhD sort of what opportunities have come about not just in education but alongside what you've been up to I'm really passionate about outreach I you do the research to get your results out there and being discussed and you do it to make the world more informed and a better place. So I'm really passionate about talking to people and you know, going and doing presentations in schools, especially because we're passing on this problem to younger kids. Uh, we'll be long gone in a hundred years, um, but I don't think plastic is. So if we can really teach and inform young kids about the problem, but how it can be fixed and how they can be part of that solution, then it's going to really ramp up the world to be a better place in the future. So done a lot of volunteer work with Marine Conservation Society, which is a charity very close to my heart. Uh, so doing a lot of outreach of them and beach cleans and communication, which I really enjoyed. And then for my PhD career wise, um, I got involved with National Geographic. Um, I became an explorer focusing on research, looking at washing your clothes. Because most of our clothes, my jumper today is made out of plastic actually, like polyester or acrylic. And we did some research in my PhD that shows when you wash your clothes, for a typical clothes wash, about 700,000 fibers can come off. And they're like the microbeads that go down the drain, potentially through the sewage treatment works and then into our ocean. So adding to loads of fibres entering the environment every day. Because if you imagine a house, a street, a town, a city, all washing their clothes per week, that's a lot of fibres. So then we wanted to focus on solutions. So Nat Geo provided a grant where I've been testing different inventions that try and capture the fibres in the washing cycle. 
So it could be the future of washing our clothes. And then this led to me getting a job with them as an expedition scientist on something called uh, Cetus Source, which is focusing on the Ganges River. I wonder um, if you could just brief us a little bit about what that's involved, because it sounds like the most incredible expedition. It was incredible. The people that we met, uh, people that I remember for the rest of my life. And for my PhD, I've been really lab based. Um, I think a lot of people might assume that marine scientists and a lot of my friends are, don't get me wrong, and they do incredible research, uh, you know, studying turtles around the world. But during my PhD, I was either on the sixth floor or the fifth floor in the lab. So my real first experience of doing a, a scientific expedition. And we went from where the Ganges meets the ocean in Bangladesh, all the way up to the Himalayan source in India. And we did the whole Ganges uh, as a big team. We were a multidisciplinary team. We had a land-based section and they were looking at plastic on land, rubbish on land, uh, and how that could potentially get into the water source. We had a socioeconomic team, and they were looking at people's relationships with plastic in different communities, and what the people living there, you know, living and breathing around this river, how they thought that the plastic going into it could be minimised. And then I was part of the water team, and the bit that I was leading was to get a whole 3D picture of a major river to understand where the plastic is going, what the major sources were, and understand where the hotspots were as well. How was that received within India and that area? Because obviously it's become such a big thing here in the UK. We've got such a big movement, you know, plastic-free communities popping up and that kind of thing. Did you see some of that over there? Or is that, do you think, yet to come? And that's why the education piece is so important. Uh, I, I definitely people are concerned over there. and. It really taught me that no country is perfect. Name any country in the world. We can all do better and we all have our own problems to face. India's got a huge population and the Ganges is really the life source in the veins of India and, and Bangladesh, especially people living in that vicinity. And culturally, it's just beautiful and so uh, inspiring because it's a, it's a holy river. People pray to it. Um, we went to Gamuk, which is the glacial source, which is a very pristine area. And uh, the people of the Hindu religion believe that if you bathe in the waters at Gamuk, that all your past sins are washed away. So it's an incredibly just magical place. But at the same time, a lot of plastic is going into the river, unfortunately. Um, and a lot of people over there live day by day to no fault of their own. Uh, instead of buying a shampoo bottle like we might over here, um, out there for a lot of people it might be too expensive so they have to buy a sachet when they can so that accumulates waste. But one of the best things about the expedition is that we were partnered very heavily. Most of our team were actually from the local region itself. So we had um, partners in the University of Dhaka based in Bangladesh, WII which is the Wildlife Institute of India and working with them it helped us to understand the main pressures and problems within that that area and it's such a nice way to think about um you know our resources is to have that sort of appreciation at, the, at that level for you know the, the fact that it's the veins that sort of flow through through the country 
I also read that you were on the expedition trip, which was an all-female crew um, that are going around the world, doing lots of sort of experiments and um, outreach again about plastic pollution. Is that a fair summary of what they do? Yeah, that's a, that's a really incredible project. And I know the science lead, Winnie, she's um, a postdoc at the University of Plymouth on the Around the World trip. So Place to be. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really nice family that's growing, especially of all of the people that have done the trips. Um, and as well as collecting some really incredible scientific data that's going to help push uh, the science going even further on how we can make solutions, uh, it's also educating and inspiring different groups of women from different industry sectors to, um, you know, parents to teachers people work in their local council that they're their own superhero and what skills can they bring themselves to try and tackle plastic pollution within their community absolutely and it's you know such an important point that people sometimes think well what difference can one person make but if you you know give yourself the opportunity to go and learn and you're able to bring that back you know the power that you can have inspiring that forwards you can't you can't necessarily measure that that impact the other thing I wondered was, I read that the National Geographic expedition had an all-female science crew. Obviously, the expedition crew was all-female. Do you think gender plays a part or, you know, is, is there a significance to that? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, so, expedition was all-female. The uh, project in the Ganges, each source, was female-led. So, our okay. bosses, but we had male um, colleagues as well. Yeah. And me, the most important thing is just being on the same page and everyone is equal. Mm. I've never experienced any difficulties, but whether you're female, whether you're male, whether you're X, Y, Z, you've all got a role to play and we're all different. And, you know, based on our own personal preferences, based on where we live, based on our history, our background, that can influence how we're gonna tackle the plastic problem differently. And also the circles of people that we can reach. And that's why it's so important that everybody's engaged, isn't it? Because we all have different contacts, different networks. Yeah, and, it, and there's not yeah. one person in the world, I would say, that hasn't been impacted with plastic, whether you know it. So it's just something that we need to tackle together. It's not one group and another group. It's very much a whole circle and everyone's in it. Everyone's in it together. In terms of taking action, I was wondering whether your research has changed any habits or... Um, any particular viewpoints you have about plastic and consumption? Yeah, it has actually. Uh, I guess during my PhD, if I'm speaking honestly, maybe the first year I was probably under the assumption that plastic was evil and there was too much plastic and it was damaging the environment and it was, well, we shouldn't use plastic. But the more I studied it and the more I started to be more conscious about the way that I live, Plastic is a great material. It really is plastic. Uh, it's so durable, it's lightweight. It can bring many benefits in healthcare and food uh, shelf life. And I'm looking around my room right now and you know the bed covers are probably made out of plastic. I'm wearing plastic clothes. I've got plastic on my surfboard. Uh, talking to you for a plastic laptop. So everything that plastic does is, there is a benefit to it. But it's the way that we're dealing with plastic that's the issue. 
so many single-use applications. Uh, and what's really interesting was the first synthetic plastic was Bakelite, which was made around 1904. Um, and the guy that invented Bakelite, the logo that went with it was an infinity symbol. And the tagline was something like, a material that will last forever, because that's what he believed. It's such a durable material that it could potentially last forever. But now, looking in 2020, this durable material that could last forever, we're using it in single-use applications, which, if you think about it, is crazy. So the positives of plastic are also the negatives, that we need to... I can't imagine a world without it, especially at the moment. It does bring so many great things. So now we just need to focus on it being almost like a gold material. Let's keep reusing it. My Nana still has a Bakelite radio from many moons ago. So it's the way that we're dealing with it that we need to address. Absolutely. It's just sort of, you know, having that level of consciousness when you buy something or when you go to dispose of something, thinking about, you know, could could this have been avoided in the first place? Could I be doing something differently with this to give it an extra extra lease of life? Because as you say, you know, there are so many good and important uses of plastic. We've just got to be better at dealing with it. Yeah, definitely. And also not feeling guilty. Mm. Uh, I think people will always assume that I'm the complete plastic free single use queen. And I definitely, I try, I really try. Uh, and you know try and get plastic free alternatives when I can and when when it makes sense um but I can't afford it completely and I'm, I'm not made of money um often plastic free alternatives are quite expensive um sometimes I need to get things that are just convenient in my local shop and sometimes it is wrapped in plastic and I'm just gonna have to get it for my meal um it's all about making changes in your life even if they seem small that can still have a really big impact in the environment i think the facial scrub research that we did is a, a really good testament for that that just by going to the supermarket and reading the ingredients of the the facial scrub itself by doing that and going for a natural alternative instead you're potentially stopping three million plastic microbees entering the ocean so it's just that one decision okay. when you have different varieties of facial scrubs you can get that can still make a really big impact yeah such a good tip i was going to ask you about advice to people but i guess you know that's it isn't it just that one step one step and yeah. my main advice i give people is just reconnect with nature um go outside take a walk realize how lucky we are especially when we've got the blue sky we can see the birds going around even if you live in a city there's still wildlife still trees still grass and the best advice I've been given to myself is to love something, you need to understand it. And to understand it, you will love it. And then in turn, you'll protect it. That's so important. That's really, really nice. I wondered, this might be slightly a bit of a different one. Um, self-care. What does that look like for you? Oh, how do you define self-care? That's an also a very interesting question, isn't it? I think, you know, it's anything that you do physically, mentally, just to sort of keep, you know, yourself in check. Oh, I've never been asked that before, but ah. it's definitely something really on my radar. And sometimes I'm really guilty. My partner, Phil, will always tell me of this, that 
I work too late and I just need to take time for myself you know sometimes I'll just be going around and I'll be checking my emails or I'll be like oh I, I really need to get this written tonight and this time especially when we're all on isolation it's actually nice to slow down and focus on you as well um surfing is like the thing that I will do to completely clear my head just getting out in the water I'm absolutely terrible I have no skill I've been doing it for years I uh, bet that's not true <laughs> <laughs> that was my friend. Um, but it's just incredible to just get out outside out in the ocean and uh, completely clears my head um, and I've been trying to cut down on my coffee as well because I drink I love coffee but if you're drinking seven cups a day you're absolutely buzzing and you can't yeah. sleep yeah. um so self-care i would say is just taking time for yourself and not feeling guilty about it no i love it well imogen thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today you know it's such an honor to have you as my first ever guest on the show it's um I, i'm absolutely thrilled if people wanted to get in touch with you or follow your research or any sort of future expeditions and that kind of thing what's the best way of doing that uh, follow me on Instagram. Um, it's just Imogen Napper and the same on Twitter. And please send me a message and I'll be more than happy to reply and uh, get a discussion going. Oh, brilliant. I'll make sure those are in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Imi. Before we started the show, we were discussing how we both went to Plymouth University and it was great to catch up with her all about Plymouth life and from screenings that we both went to with the Marine Biology Society. In fact, when Imi was talking about being in the labs on the 5th and 6th floor, I was likely upstairs in the geography department on the 7th. If you'd like to get in touch with Imi, she's at Imogen underscore Napper on Instagram and Twitter. I'll make sure her details are in the show notes too. If you have any thoughts, comments, questions or suggestions for guests, please do let us know. We're Common Ground Co. on Instagram. We're also looking for budding writers to write pieces on social or environmental issues. So if that sounds like you and you're looking for a platform to broadcast your work, please do get in touch. So until next week, it's been a pleasure. Thank you all so much for listening and see you soon.